The following sermon is from Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City at the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Manhattan. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith. Head to FAPC.org and join our email list and be sure to subscribe to FAPC in New York City, our YouTube channel. And now we invite you to breathe deep and lean into the beauty of worship with Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. A reading from the book of Acts, chapter 16, starting at verse 16. Listen for the word of the Lord. One day, as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune-telling. While she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, These men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. She kept on doing this for many days. But Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, these men are disturbing our city. They are Jews and are advocating for customs that are not lawful for us Romans to adopt or observe. The crowd joined in in attacking them. And the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was an earthquake, so violent that the foundations of the prisons were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw that the prison doors were wide open, he drew a sword and was about to kill himself, since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for lights, and rushing in, he fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. At the same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. Then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them into the house and set food before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. The word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. In January and February of 2019, which feels like a century ago, but was only a few years ago, we did a sermon series called The Next America. The clergy preached sermons on topics that were on the forefront of people's political minds. The sermons were titled, Let's Talk About, Enter a Topic. In fact, we actually pulled you, the congregation, to ask you to submit topics that you wanted us to discuss. So there was a sermon called, Let's Talk About Immigration. Let's Talk About the Environment. For my sermon, I was assigned 
let's talk about guns. It was actually a very formative experience for me as a preacher. I had alluded to political things in, the ser in my sermons in the past, but it was never the framework for a whole topic of a sermon. I'm quite grateful to Scott and for this church for giving me this challenge. And it was a challenge because it would be much easier to just blurt out political beliefs. Yet as a preacher, we are called to listen to how the divine interacts with the human. What is the Holy Spirit guiding us to say when it comes to people's lives? What is she whispering in our ears while politicians and media distract us with shouting? And in our current sermon series that began right after Easter, we have been marinating on a thought from theologian David Johnson. That thought is that God loves us. There is no ifs or buts or maybes. We are loved. There isn't anything dependent on that love. We just are. Yet that love from God gives us a therefore. And we have spent the last few weeks thinking of different therefores that it entails. And you have been sending your own therefores. And something that has been consistent in all those therefores is that it brings good news to people. God loves us, therefore we bear good news. And today we think through the therefore of liberation. God loves us, therefore we are liberated. God loves us, therefore we work for liberation. Scripture says that wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But words like freedom and liberation are very political. Because in liberation and freedom, you're always liberated from something. Something that is captive. Something that has set you back. Something that may be oppressive. So yes, we engage with the political. Not through the eyes of blue or red or green, but through the lens of how we might love God and love our neighbors more. How might we participate in liberation of the oppressed? There are many who think that we should keep political issues out of the pulpit. And I hear that viewpoint. You hear all of the debates on cable television, on your Facebook newsfeed, at the water cooler, and you think to yourself, at church, I just want to be comforted. I get that. Perhaps church might be the last place you want to hear about what is happening in our country and our world. Yet we know that the kingdom of God extends outside of these walls. And because of that, every issue matters. Because if we are to take the scripture seriously, if we are to follow the command to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbors as ourselves, the way that we approach issues happening in our country and world should have that mind frame. How do we love God and love others with our views? Now, we are a diverse crowd. You hear that in the welcome every single week. We don't all look alike. We don't all think alike. So our conclusions on that may differ. And that's okay. Perhaps we will learn from each other. Yet I don't think that as Christians, we can ignore issues or be active in issues without a mind frame in which we love God and love others. And when it comes down to it, the governments will do what they want to do, sometimes with people's votes and sometimes without people's votes. But friends, our, as Christians, our hope is not in any elected official, 
but our hope is in Christ Jesus. In the God who became human, who came down as a poor baby, was a refugee from Palestine, who lived a life defending those whose society casted her away. Our hope is not in policies, but in the one who died on our behalf to save us, and then was raised to glory on that Easter morning. And yet what happens in the political world does matter because it involves God's creation. It involves the earth God created. It involves all people made in the image of God. So yes, we will talk about important issues that are happening out there, and it's our duty to talk about it. And not just talk, but to act. It's our duty as disciples of Jesus. We must be a prophetic witness on these issues. It's a way that we love God and love others. When we say that God loves us, therefore we are liberated, we are reminded that salvation for Jesus is not just spiritual salvation, but tangible salvation. Thus we see Jesus heal people with his hands, save people from their oppressors, and give voice to the voiceless. Theologian Monica Coleman says, Salvation fits into a unified view of the entire world, and yet it is also gritty, localized, and contextual. It is grounded in concrete experiences of the world. Salvation must always look, feel, and taste like something. Salvation must always look, feel, and taste like something. Our lectionary text for today from the book of Acts displays a variety of forms of liberation. As Paul and Silas are in a Roman area of Philippi, they are looking for a place to pray, and an unnamed slave woman is following them around. This woman, it says, is possessed by a spirit that gives her the power of fortune-telling. In fact, it made her owners a lot of money. She would tell fortunes, and people would pay her owner for it. And this woman is following Paul and Silas and is shouting, These men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. Why is she following them and saying this? Theologian Willie Jennings says, It's no accident that she is drawn to these disciples, because the enslaved are often drawn to those who are religious, either as echoing signs of their own enslavement, deepening further the power of that captivity, or a hopeful possibility of their emancipation. This woman is enslaved by the spirit that is keeping her captive, but also physically by her owner. A demonic spirit is making use of her body just as her owner is making use of her. Indeed, the demon and the economic are bound together here, and Paul touches their connection. Annoyed, Paul, in the name of Jesus, cast out this demon, and it came out of her in that hour. It doesn't tell us why Paul was annoyed. I don't understand that part. But I like Willie Jennings' interpretation of it. What she's saying about them is true. They were there to proclaim a way of salvation. And yet the demonic that was claiming it was perhaps influenced by a money-making opportunity. Was the demonic spirit mimicking them praising God falsely, not to be faithful, but in an opportunity to make a dollar. Willie Jennings says, the point was not to silence her voice, but to release it from the network captivity. Ministry in the name of Jesus Christ 
releases people to speak, especially poor women, by challenging the voices of their own oppression that constantly wish to speak through them. Yet participating in this liberation comes at a cost for Paul and Silas. The owner of this woman is so upset that his cash flow is disrupted that he brings them to the police and brings a false charge against them. In xenophobic fashion, they say, these Jewish people are disturbing our city and are advocating for customs that are not lawful for Romans to do. And so they are stripped, beaten, and thrown into jail. Yet the charge that the owner brought was not what they did. He didn't even mention about the exorcism and the demonic spirit. He went for a charge that would get them in jail. If Paul and Silas let this woman be without liberating her, her demonic spirit, they would have been able to roam around the city freely preaching their gospel. Yet when the owner had his capital disrupted, that was the catalyst for a false story to be shared in order to get them in trouble. It goes to show when powerful people fear their economics taken away, they tell a different story. The next scene is a passage that may be familiar to you from Sunday school, one that you probably remember from the flannel board in Sunday school. An earthquake happens. The jail doors are open, their chains come off, and they can escape if they'd like. Yet they do not. And in the process, they share the gospel with the jailer who brings them into his home and shares a meal with them. You see, the gospel of Jesus doesn't bring escape. It brings rescue. It brings liberation. The gospel of Jesus doesn't bring an escape, but liberation. And something that we see not only through Jesus, but also in this passage, is that we are called to participate in liberation. Liberation theologian Gustavo Gutierrez says, in liberation theology, the way to rational talk of God is located within a broader and more challenging course of action, the following of Jesus. We cannot just talk about God. We must follow Christ. Friends, God loves us. There are no ifs or buts or maybes. There isn't any kind of condition on God's love for us. And yet, because God loves us, therefore we are liberated and feel moved and compelled to participate in liberation. I believe a good portion of this is because when we truly begin to realize that we are loved, we see the people around us as people who are loved as well. And when we see our neighbors hurting, we see them as God sees them. And we want to participate in that liberation. This past week was the two-year anniversary of George Floyd's murder. And for many of us here at Fifth Avenue, this was a formative moment for us in wanting to participate in liberation for how black, indigenous, and people of color are treated in this country. When this church formed the anti-racism response team, the group recognized some of the ways that this church has already participated in awareness against the injustices of marginalized groups. And at the same time, the group challenged this church to think through deeper ways of being anti-racist in order to participate in liberation. And you all have faithfully taken on that challenge. I have seen conversations and actions that have shown a deep love for those who are hurting. So my encouragement is to continue to participate in liberation. 
to continue to keep assessing oneself in the ways that we have been complicit in systemic racism and oppression. And this is not a finger-pointing argument. I'm simply saying that it's easy to fall into a savior complex, that we are the ones who bring about liberation. But it's God, the one who does the liberating. When we continue to assess ourselves, we fall into a right posture that allows us to participate in liberation, not the ones who falsely bring liberation. And friends, we continue to see in this world the ways that racism continues to affect black communities. We see hatred and anti-Asian violence and the way that people constantly fear the other. So as people of faith, we will continue to be called once again and again to participate in liberation in macro and micro levels. This past week was a tough week for our country. And in the spirit of talking about liberation, we need to talk about how this country needs, desires, and begs for liberation from gun violence. We lament and cry out for the pain and suffering that has happened from the hundreds of mass shootings to the gun violence happening in our subway stations and city. In the passage, the unnamed slave woman continues to shout the truth to Paul and Silas. And so forth, unnamed people continue to shout the truth to us. Again, we're not sure why Paul is annoyed, but eventually he drives out the spirit and she finds liberation, at least from the spirit. And the owners who are ticked off for losing their financial gain, they tell a different story. They tell a different story. And we've seen that this week. We know that gun violence has a variety of layers to it. There is mental health issues that need to be addressed. There is hatred and hardening of hearts that needs to be addressed. But there's also the issue that's right in front of our face. How easy it is to access guns in our country. Yet safeguarding responsible gun ownership will hurt those in power, and it will hurt the pockets of companies and lobbyists. So they tell a different story, like the owner does in the passage. They will say the gun access isn't the reason this is happening. They will tell a different story other than the truth. They will say that we need to arm teachers. A narrative is changed in order to protect wealth and power instead of protecting people. How do they expect to arm teachers when they can't provide adequate teaching supplies first? We are fortunate to live in a country where we can be prophetic, where we can advocate to lawmakers to do something when something is not right. We cannot let money and power get in the way of senseless acts of violence for the sake of people's lives because God loves us. Because God loves that kid in that classroom. Because God loves that child in that classroom. Therefore, we need to take guns like AR-15s off the street permanently. Shane Claiborne, in his book, Beating Guns, writes about simple common sense changes in terms of gun responsibility. Some of the suggestions are things like limiting the amount of guns one can buy per month. One per month is enough. 
There's no need to have 12 guns a year. Closing the gun show loophole and having background checks even at gun shows as well. And banning semi-automatic guns like those AR-15s and high-capacity cartridges. Because weapons of war do not belong on the streets. And friends, this type of liberation is possible. And when things get taken away, it must be replaced with something better. And we get to participate in cultivating a new way. In Boston, Massachusetts, there's a program called Operation Ceasefire that is aimed to have less guns on the streets, but also to uplift the lives of young people who are at the risk of gun violence. The combination of, strong, of stronger sanctions for people caught with illegal firearms mixed with incentives for prevention like job training, substance abuse treatment, and, seri and services for mental and bodily health for, for youth, it saw a two-thirds drop in homicide after its launch in 1996. Homeboy Industries in Los Angeles is a holistic gang rehabilitation center started by Father Greg Boyle. They have job training, tattoo removal, mental health services, and reconciliation programs between people who used to be enemies. I have visited this facility. It's so impressive. Their motto is nothing stops a bullet like a job. Nothing stops a bullet like a job. And their success rate of helping gang members see the image of God in themselves and in others is absolutely radical. Will you help in participating in this type of liberation? In the next few weeks, our outreach team will have ways for you to participate in writing to lawmakers to help make change possible. And no, this isn't a blue versus red debate here or a way to push a certain party's agenda. This is about keeping people alive. Please take advantage of what outreach will do. Write to your Congress people, letting them know to take guns off the street, but to replace it with something better. Especially to those who are watching on live stream. For those of you who live in different states, we need your help. Children need your help and your voice. We're also working on a memorial in the Chestnut Gallery. This memorial will be a place where we can lament lives lost due to gun violence, a way to remember people honorably, and also have information available for ways that people can participate in the liberation of gun violence. It's possible. It's possible to turn our swords into plowshares, our spears into pruning hooks, and our guns into gardening tools to cultivate something better. We have tasted liberation. We have seen liberation. Let us continue to participate in it. You are deeply loved by the God of the universe. God is a liberating force, and therefore we participate in liberation. Friends, you are deeply loved. There are no ifs or buts about that. Yet there is a therefore. Therefore, may you go in peace and serve the Lord, follow and participate in Christ's liberating love. Thanks be to God. Amen.